Uh, this series is this is our third week in this series that we're going through called Core Christianity, where we are looking at really the the fundamental beliefs of Christianity. And if you are new or not even sure kind of what you believe, if you're just exploring Christianity, if you're exploring uh, faith and God, if that's just something you're kind of testing out and, and wanting to learn more about, this is a great series to learn. Really, what has Christianity taught? What have Christians believed for thousands of years? What has united Christians? What, our, what are our beliefs? And so if you're just kind of checking things out, this is a great opportunity for you to really see. Here's what Christians believe. Maybe you're just interested in why are Christians so crazy? This will help you see how we have developed such craziness in our uh, our movement and our group of people. Or maybe you are a Christian. You've been a Christian for a long time. I know many of you have been Christians for a long time. This helps you to really just be strengthened and more deeply formed in the things that we believe. And so this will help to just continue to encourage and deepen and strengthen who you are. And listen, all of our beliefs shape our life. And that's part of why we're doing this. It's not just to, to add up, okay, I, I'm, I've got more down, I, I'm more educated now. That, that's not really the goal. It's all of our beliefs will shape our life. It'll shape your marriage. It'll shape your job. It'll shape your parenting. It'll shape your community group. It'll shape your experience as a church. All of our beliefs shape our life. And so we want to really see what does Christianity hold out as here is truth. Here is what we believe. And so we're exploring this, going through uh, several different topics. And in some ways, if you're interested, this series really is a systematic theology series where we are looking at the core different beliefs and pulling together where the Bible speaks to each of these things. It's a systematic theology. And so today we're talking about really the doctrine of humanity, the doctrine of humanity. And philosophers will ask the questions of existence. And I don't know if any of you are uh, into philosophy, and I know that's probably a minority of people, but if you are, or if you remember Philosophy 101 from college, uh, maybe you slept through it, but if you remember any of that stuff, there's kind of the, the questions of existence, which answers really the big questions of life, of who am I? Where did we come from? Why am I here? How do I live? And what's wrong with the world. Those kind of major questions are questions that people wrestle with and questions that people ask. And there's different ways to come to the answers of those questions. In the past and historically, people have come to those answers with their family. Just said, okay, what does my family say that I am and why I'm here and how I'm to live? Or your religion, the religion answers those questions. Or maybe for some, it's even the country that you're a part of answers those questions. Today, for us, most of the way that we begin to explore those questions, who am I, why am I here, where do we come from, what's wrong, most of the way that we answer those questions in America in 2023 really starts more with ourself. Well, who do I say that I am? Why, 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 what is my purpose? Why, why do I think I'm here? What do I want to be here for? What do I think is wrong? We really begin to look inside. But for Christians, we want to look to the Bible and say, how does the Bible answer these major questions of existence and life? And that might sound just really philosophical and like, who, 
who cares? Why I'm, I'm wondering right now, why am I here? That's what I'm wondering, you know. Maybe I came to the wrong place. And, and that might just kind of sound philosophical and just, uh, you know, those are, who cares? I, I need stuff that really helps me in my life right now. But listen, all of the answers to those questions flow into every area of your life. And like a car, if the alignment gets off on those fundamental things, if you, if you get those questions wrong, if the alignment is off, your life goes off. And you might not feel it right at first, but if you answer who am I or how did I get here or how am I to live or what's wrong with this world, if you answer those questions off, then your alignment is off. I don't know if your alignment has ever been off in your car. Ours has before. And you're driving down the freeway and it's just like, and you can feel like something's wrong here. And ultimately, if your alignment's off, way off, you're, you're going to go off the road. It's going to be dangerous for you. It's going to actually cause harm to you. It's going to be unsafe. It's not going to be a smooth, you're not going to be able to just, you know, cruise down the freeway on a nice road trip and just listening to music because you're going to be going like this, you know. And if your alignment is off on these questions, even though they might sound philosophical and big picture, ultimately your life's going to go off. And when we explore what the Bible has to say about these things, it's going to give us answers that will actually help us be on the right direction. It will help us ride through life with rest and joy and purpose and being able to know that, man, things, this, is, this is going in, I'm, I'm guarded, I'm protected from driving off, going off the rails or crossing into traffic. You'll be able to experience the joy in the ride that you were meant for. And so we come to this question of the doctrine of humanity, really answering some of these questions of why are we here? Who am I? What's wrong? So let's explore these together, starting with this question. Why are we here? Why are we here? It's a big question, right? Why are we here? Why do you exist? And I know for some of you, it's like, I have not had enough coffee yet to get this existential, you know? And we've got a big barrel back there of coffee, so go ahead and down it. But just, this is a big question. Why do I exist? Why are we here? Why are we here? And this question matters. Uh, if, if you're thinking of just kind of the business world, businesses want to define their purpose for their company, for their employees. There was a very popular TED Talk uh, maybe five or ten years ago called Start With Why by a man named Simon Sinek. And it, it was saying just something that we intuitively know that you have to answer the why question before you get to all the how questions. You have to say, why do we exist before you get into the practicals? And, and that's important for business, but it's important for life. It's important to know why do we exist? Why are we here? And from a religious standpoint, throughout the millennia, people have answered this question in different ways. When we think about God, Different religions and their creation stories answer this question differently. Some people may say, well, the reason you are here is because God was lonely. And so he needed people to create so that he wouldn't be lonely. Some people may say that God needed, uh, needed something in the world. He needed kind of servants or people to do things for him. And so you are created to serve him for his purposes because he couldn't do it himself. 
There's different kind of creation myths and stories that get at the question, why are we here? When we come to the Bible, it's going to answer that question differently for us. And first, what it's going to tell us is God didn't need anything. God didn't need anything. We, we looked at that a little bit when we were exploring the doctrine of God. And I will tell you this, by the way, all of these things kind of build on one another. So if you've missed, it'll kind of be like jumping into a TV series on episode three. And you're like, I don't, I don't this kind of has some pieces missing. And that's true. So I would encourage you to follow along, go through all, all of the, the, different, uh, the different content we have in this series. But the Bible says that God didn't need anything. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Now, Father, speaking to God the Father, God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Talked about that last week. Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory that I had with you before the world existed. So before anything existed, Jesus, God, the Trinity, they were all, they were experiencing glory. They didn't need this in any way from anybody else. They didn't need something. There was no deficiency. Then he continues, Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before the world's foundation. So there was perfect love before the world even existed. So there's no loneliness. There was no God needing love. God wasn't just like, you know, waiting for people to to love him because he lacked something. That wasn't what it was. There was perfect love, perfect glory before the foundation of the world. So then why are we here? Well, what the Bible says is that we were made to glorify God. I will say to the, this is God speaking, I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory. I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. God says you were made for his glory. You were made for his glory. And this is just one verse. It's all over the Bible, and which is why we are told, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. We are told that we were made and created for his glory. Now, that, that sounds probably, my guess is, very religious. And like, what does that even mean? Well, think about glory. It really is just a summation of goodness, the summation of all awesomeness of something. If I were to look at the Grand Canyon and say, this is glorious, I'm saying there's something about the summation of all of these different things. It's colors, it's, it's bigness, it's depth, it's height, it's all of the summation of everything awesome about it. That's, that's glory. Glory is the summation of all goodness. And so to say that you are created, that the reason that you exist The reason you are here is to give glory to God, to glorify God. It means to show how good God is. We are created to show how good God is. That's what all creation was created for. I just gave an example from the Grand Canyon. That's created to show how good God is. The flowers and the trees and the grass, if it grows, it's, it's created to show how good God is. When you look at the animals and all of creation, It is designed to show, look how good God is. And you, as a human being, the reason you exist is to show how good God is. Now, there's different ways that we can show how good something is, but what's one of the key ways that we show the goodness of God? And this is what's so beautiful. Think about how you show the goodness of other things. Ice cream. 
How do you show the goodness of ice cream? It's by enjoying it. The way that you show the goodness of ice cream, we got, we got a, a blizzard yesterday, a couple blizzards yesterday. Got a couple blizzards. They were 85 cents from this deal that's going on. I think it's still going on. You can get it. Just use promo code True Light. No, I'm joking. Uh, but there's a, it was 85 cents for, I got a pumpkin blizzard and we got a snickerdoodle uh, cookie dough blizzard. Delicious. And the way that we show the glory of that is not just by going, this is really cool. But it's by enjoying it. You show the goodness of something by, by saying, oh, man, I'm enjoying this. The way you show the goodness of a movie is by enjoying it. The way you show, the, way, the best way that you can glorify something is by enjoying it. And this is actually what the Bible teaches about us and God, which is why, and I've been showing you different pieces from uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith from the 1600s. It says, what is the chief end, oh, that was spelled wrong, sorry, what is the chief end, what is the chief, oh, it's not, what is the chief and highest end of man? What is the chief and highest end, purpose, why, 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 do, why does humanity exist? Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. That's, what, that's why you're here. And I like the way John Piper, a pastor and author, says it. He says that man's chief and highest end is to glorify God by fully enjoying him forever. But really, both are speaking to the same thing. That your chief purpose, the reason that you exist, is to show God's goodness and enjoy him. Enjoy his goodness. That's why you exist, which is why the Bible will say things like this. You reveal, speaking to God, the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy at your right hand are eternal pleasures. I don't know if that's how you often think of God. Do you think of God as the, he is someone to be enjoyed. If I want eternal pleasure, the way that I find that is knowing God, glorify, showing how good he is. That's that's how I actually find abundant joy. John 10.10, really the verse that is kind of our cornerstone verse for our church. Jesus says, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. The Bible says that the reason you exist is to show God's goodness. And the key way that you show God's goodness is by enjoying him forever. That's what you were here for. That's what you are designed for. That's why God brought humanity and brought you into existence. Think about how amazing that is. See, this is where I'm saying the alignment gets off if we go off from this. If you think the reason I'm here is because God's lonely, that's going to change how you view God. Really, essentially, God is here, or you are here because God needs something from you. And any way that we answer the question that says, yeah, God needs something from me, we're going to get off. But if you understand, I was created Because God actually wants me to experience fullness of joy. And the more that I find my joy in him, I'll I'll glorify him. I'll show how good he is. That's what God made you for. What a God. That God actually designed this world to bring you joy. And as you enjoy him, you show how good he is. I don't think that's a lot of our starting concept of who God is and why we exist. But here's why this is so beautiful. If you believe that your purpose is anything else, anything else can be taken from you or not given to you. 
if you believe the purpose of life is marriage, which is a beautiful, amazing thing that God has made. But if you believe that the purpose of life is marriage, what happens if you don't get married? You're not just unmarried. You're not living in your purpose. Your life now lacks the depth of meaning that it could have. What happens if your marriage crumbles? What happens if your marriage isn't what you expected it to be? If you believe that the purpose of life is building a family and having children, what happens if you can't have them? You're, not, you're, you're lacking purpose. You're, at, you're lacking existence. It's existential crisis. If you believe the purpose of life is career and success and achieving a certain level of income or freedom in your work, what happens if you don't have that? What happens for billions of people around the world, by the way, who don't have an American mindset of, hey, find a career that do what makes you happy, but really they just have to do what gives them a little bit of food on the table to survive. Are we just saying their lives are meaningless, purposeless, because they weren't able to follow their dreams and work for themselves and be an entrepreneur and have a website? Is that, is that what we're saying? Are they, what, how many Instagram followers do they have? Well, none. They're farming rice. I mean, billions of people in the world. But if your purpose, if your purpose is to show the goodness of God in your life, if your purpose is to enjoy God, then that can never be taken from you. That can never be taken from you. And whether you're rich or poor or American or Indian or wherever you live in the world, you are able to glorify God. Whether life is going great or you are suffering, you are able to show God's goodness and actually, existentially, philosophically, in the deepest way possible, say, I am living out what I was designed for. And listen, no matter how much you're suffering, you can enjoy God. And no matter how much you're suffering, you can show how good God is. And no matter where your life situation is, you are able to live what you were made for. This helps us deeply. Now, here's what this means. Is, is, that your, is that your focus? Is that your pursuit? When you think about why am I here, and, and, not, and maybe you don't think about this often, but just what is my life really about? And, and, and as you think about your goals and your dreams and your pursuits and your frustrations, as you think about that, is this, is this really what's kind of governing your heart? Paul, Paul says in that verse that we looked at, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, which means it's very mundane, actually. It goes down to what I eat and I drink. It goes down to blizzards, even 85-cent ones. It goes, down to, it goes down to what you eat and what you drink. Is this your focus and your pursuit? I want to glorify God with my life. I want to enjoy God. Is that your focus? If it's not, that's okay. This is, this is, actually, this is where they do the boat mechanic stuff right here during the week. So this is a mechanic shop helping you realign and get your alignment right. It's okay if you're like, man, it's, my life feels kind of wobbly right now. Well, okay, that's all right. This, this, the intention, part of why we're doing it is to help you go, all right, well, you need, you need to get the alignment back on focus. And to say, okay, so what would it look like then if I said, I want to live to say, I want to enjoy God. I want to show his goodness. That should be a conscious pursuit of ours and will affect everything and will lead to greater joy and greater direction and greater rest and greater smoothness in life.
This is why you're here. This is the purpose that God gives to you. At the core of why you were made was to show his goodness and enjoy him. That's beautiful. But who are we? That's another deep question we have to ask. Maybe this is why humans are here, but who are humans? Who are you? Sometimes people go through a crisis. Who am I? Midlife crisis. Millennials invented the quarter-life crisis. And I probably Gen Z will invent the 10-year-old crisis, you know, and just like, who am I? We're going to have preschoolers walking around smoking pipes being like, who am I? You know, it's going to be weird. Get ready. That's what they're doing back in kids' ministry right now. It's not, it's not, uh, it's, they're vaping. It's not, don't worry. (laughs) Uh, But we have to... That's not true, just so you know. <laughs> Some parents are like, is that really what's going on? I need to go back there. Who are we? What is a human? If you were here for the series that we went through uh, last time that was called Divided We Stand, and we looked through several different kind of culturally divisive issues, this was something that came up over and over again in those topics because you have to understand who humans are if you're going to understand all sorts of different issues that we wrestle with all sorts of different issues that we argue about. So who are we? What is a human? Are we basically just an evolved animal? Are we just a floating spirit and our bodies don't matter? Are we just a clump of cells? Are we just an accident? Who knows how we got here? Who are we? That's a very important question. And if you've been coming for a while, you know probably the main answer here. But the Bible says this, that we are people made in the image of God. It says, when people were created, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. We are made in the image and likeness of God. That's who humans are, which means you are not creator you are created. It means that you are made to reflect and represent what God is like. That's what you are made to do, which if you understand is connected to why we are here, the purpose to show the goodness of God. Well, who you are is actually someone who is made in the image of God to reflect what he's like to the people and to the world around you. That's who you are. You are in some ways a mirror. You are made to reflect a mirror by itself is, is nothing. But a mirror's purpose and what a mirror does and who a mirror is, is to reflect the image. That is who we are. We are made to reflect who God is. We are made to represent who God is. We are made to show something of what God is like. That's who you are. You are someone made to reflect and represent God. That's why That is what a human is. And there's all sorts of different ways that we could think about, well, how are we like God? How do we reflect God? How do we image God? How are we, the Bible says that we are made in the likeness of God. How are we like God? There's obviously a lot of ways that we're not like God, right? But how are we made like God? How are we made to reflect God? And there's a lot of ways. I want to give you some, but there really is, a lot, but some of the ways is that we are made with a moral 
conscience. The Bible says that God's law is written into our hearts. We are made with a moral conscience. God is a moral being. We are made like God to live morally in the world. We are spirit and body, but we have a spirit. God is a spiritual being, and we are like God in that we are not a chair. A chair doesn't have a spirit. We are made with a spirit. We are made like God in that we have a spirit. We are spiritual beings. And that might seem like, ah, who cares? But do you know how how much that matters? Think about how some of our decisions, even if they seem like a physical decision, actually have deep spiritual impact. Actually have deep spiritual impact. I'll just give you one example. of When you think about sexuality, you think about how much that actually affects, we would say, body and soul from a positive standpoint and a negative standpoint. The people that have been abused, they don't just say, yeah, something happened to my body. But there's a deep spiritual feeling. And that's why our, our sexuality cannot just be spread around because it actually has soul impact. We are spiritual people in that we pray. Have you ever been to the zoo and seen a group of monkeys praying? I haven't. We are spirits. Some of you think that's funny, right? I've never seen that. I've never seen a sick monkey and another monkey putting his hands on him and saying, it's all right, brother. Let's pray for this tail. You know, I've never seen that. We are spiritual beings. Part of of how we are like God is in the deep reasoning capacity that we have. Yes, animals can reason. They can think because of the deep reasoning capacity that we have. I've never seen chickens get into a debate about the best kinds of coops or, you know, the best, the best eggs. I've never seen that happen. And yet humans, we debate things. We have arguments. There's a, we have philosophy. We have theology. We have books that we write. We have deep reasoning that allows us to technologically advance. You know how stupid spiders are? The web is the same. It's never changed. They've never improved on the web. I've never gone out to a spider web. You know, 20 years ago when I was a kid and I saw spider webs, and now when I look at spider webs, they're the same. There's not all of a sudden spider webs that have new design, and and actually it's layered with some other things and 3D technology, and none of that exists. But human beings have the ability to reason deeply, which allows us to improve upon technology, allows us to to continue to advance. God is a deep reasoning being. Human beings are made with creativity. We make stuff. Now, I know you can buy like elephant paintings because someone stuck a brush in an elephant's nose and, you know, waved it around. But human beings actually have the ability to make cathedrals and actually have the ability to do graphic design and to do these beautiful creative things. God is a creative God, and we are made like him. We are relational. And yes, animals have a relationality. Wolves travel in packs and all that. But but you don't ever see a wolf wondering why its friends didn't text him back, right? (laughs) We are deeply relational beings, deep because we are made in the image of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this deep community. We are relational beings, deep community. We are made to show something of what God is like in our work. 
God works. He made things and he worked. And it says on the seventh day he rested. We're, we're made to work. And you actually reflect what God is like in your work, in your vocation. That all good work that you do is partnering with God's work in the world. That's part of even when he said when he made humanity is that they are made in his image and he gives them dominion and authority and that they're called to take dominion over the areas of creation. That's what you're doing when you're doing a good job at your work. You're actually reflecting God's work in the world. We are made to cultivate, not leave the world untamed. Sometimes we have this idea that, oh, the way things really should be is just untamed nature. And buildings are bad, and development is bad. And, and I'm not saying we can't hurt nature or do things that aren't good, but, but we were made to take dominion over nature and actually cultivate and to bring about more from the raw materials of what God has made. Your body is another way that we are like God. Even though God does not have a body, our body actually reflects and images God. You think about God speaks. Well, the way that we do that is through our body. God gave us, gave us mouths so we could speak like God speaks. God listens. God gave us ears so we could listen like God listens. God acts in the world, and God gave us hands and feet so we could act into the world, that our bodies actually reflect. God sees. We talk about God seeing. God gave us eyes so we could see. You are actually like God in your body. The way that you reflect God, the way that you're like God, your body is a deep part of that, which is why you will have a body forever, by the way. It's not true if you believe sort of the cartoon heaven versions or even more Buddhist idea, ideas of um, eternality. It's not just kind of some random, not random, excuse me, but not just a melding into some spiritual pot that will take place, but your body will exist forever. You will be you forever. Our bodies image God and our gender images God. And I don't have tons of time to get into that. If you want to listen to a previous sermon on that, you can go back in the Divided We Stand series. But just look even how he says, in, he created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. It's directly connected to being made in the image of God, your maleness and your femaleness. And I could preach a whole sermon just on that. But all I'll say around that is that your gender matters. The masculinity and femininity, the maleness and femaleness is not an accident. God designed you and you will most fully flourish as you step into being not just human, but male and female, masculine and feminine. It's not true that there's no differences between males and females. And don't, hear, don't read into things I'm saying. But it's not true that there's no difference between males and females. It's not true that men should be like women. And women should be like men. Or that everybody should just be a blob. N none of that's true. What's true is you will thrive in who God made you to be because part of you being made in the image of God is your masculinity and femininity. That's part of reflecting what God is like. And listen, part of the reason that there's two genders is because, think about who God is. If you were here last week, God is a unity in diversity. One God, but three persons. And so God, when he makes humanity, makes them with a unity, humans, and yet a diversity, different genders. 
Something about that unity and yet diversity more fully reflects who God is. It shows a a beauty that there's differences. It shows a beauty just like in the nature of God. So this is who you are. You are made in the image of God. Now, let me tell you two things that this means. Two things it means. First of all is this, and this is probably one of the most basic things to understand about being made in the image of God. It means that all of you, whoever you are, you have beauty, value, significance, and worth because you're made in the image of God. And there's problems that we deal with that that can solve. If you've got certain identity crisis around who you are, maybe around disabilities or around uh, capacities or around your racial identity or around even your socioeconomic positioning or any of those things that we can feel less than or, or maybe we feel more than and we shouldn't, to know you're made in the image of God. And every human being around you is made with beauty, value, worth. That's an amazing thing. And some of you maybe need that for your heart. To say, I'm made in God's image. It also means this. You will find out who you are. Not by looking inside. See, sometimes when we come to this question of who am I, we, we are taught to look inside. No one else can tell you who you are. You need to look inside. You need to look at your heart. You need to determine who you are. Don't let anyone else tell you who you are. You need to figure out who you are for yourself. You need to look inside and discover who you are and then be true to that. That is a lie. It's false. It's demonic. What is true is that who you are is made in the image of God, which means this. It means if you really want to be authentic to who you are, you actually have to know who God is. Because the more you know who he is, if you are made to reflect him, if you are made to be like him, if you are made to image him, then the more you know who God is, the more you will actually authentically be who you are. Because you're made to reflect him. You will never know who you are if you don't know who he is. If you actually want to be true to yourself, you have to know who you are. And who you are is someone made in the image of God, which means to actually be true to yourself is to be true to reflecting who God is. You will lose identity crisis if you actually begin to know more who God is. You will not struggle with who am I, Who am I supposed to be? Who's the real me? You won't struggle with that if you actually find it located in who is God. I'm called to reflect him. Don't look inside. Look at him. The more you look at him, the more you will be true to who you are designed to be. The core to self-knowledge is actually knowing him. And the more that you do that, the more that you will actually be who you are. Now, finally, we have to ask this question. What's wrong? Because at least so far, I think a lot of this sounds great to say you have a purpose. You're designed to experience joy, deep pleasure forevermore in knowing who God is. You have an identity that is rooted deeper than anything you have to figure out, but it's already been given to you. 
That all sounds good. Beauty, harmony, reflection, joy. And yet, we know that things are broken. What is wrong with this world? Do you ever think that? It's a daily habit of mine to um, look at the news, look at the news headlines, and then click on a handful of them. And 90% of it is something's wrong, something's wrong. Something, if, if you were a bad headline writer, that's all it would say. Something's wrong, something's wrong again. Something is wrong over here. Something's wrong in Denver. Something's wrong in Russia. Something's wrong. And it would just be a list. Something's wrong with this celebrity. Something's wrong with this business. It would just be a list of all the things that are wrong and broken. Maybe your life feels like that sometimes. Something's wrong with my wallet. Something's wrong with my sickness. Something's wrong with my marriage. Something's wrong with... And isn't the world broken and messed up? Do you go through life? Do you go through life just being like, man, everything is awesome? <laughs> exactly, right? I, I don't think any of us feel like that. Just like everything is great. This is great, and that's great, and that's great, and the news is great. I mean, my family, they're all great. My extended family, they're great. No one feels like that. That's why I hate Christian radio because the tagline is positive and encouraging music. And I'm like, I want something that says negative and discouraging reality. And it's just like a lot of songs that are like, yep, life is hard and life is really difficult. And next song, you know, but I guess the reason that they have that is because everyone already feels that way. And so they're like, please lie to me. Um, <laughs> so, I'm sorry, that's not in my notes. <clears throat> We won't be sponsored by Caleb anytime soon. <clears throat> what is wrong with the world? And why is it that the world never gets better? And I'm not saying nothing ever gets better. Obviously, we've made some progress and changes. But if you look at history 2,000 years ago, there was a lot of stuff that was wrong. And if you look at history today, there, there's a lot of stuff that's wrong. Like, why haven't they figured out war yet? Why is war still happening? Why is murder still happening? Why is... Killing babies still happening. Why, why is so much stuff still happening? Here's the Bible's answer. Sin. The Bible says everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. The Bible's answer, and I, I could, I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll dig into this, but the Bible's answer for what's wrong with the world is sin. And sin is lawlessness. Now, that, that phrase, there's a lot of different places we could go where the Bible talks about sin. And the Bible, by the way, you know, it's not a dictionary. So a lot of times the Bible doesn't just say, here's the definition of this. You kind of look at, what does the Bible say about sin? And when you think about lawlessness, you think about God giving commands and people breaking them. And that's true. But sometimes when we think about that, we think too narrowly. We think that sin is just don't do bad things. That's sin. But when the Bible speaks about lawlessness, it means more than that because the, the laws that God presents are actually more comprehensive. The first and greatest command is what? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that's different from thinking about just don't steal, don't kill. don't. So when we think about lawlessness, we also have to think not only about don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery, those things. We also have to think about the way that we respond to God. Because of the first and greatest command, the first part of God's law is love him. That means that the, 
greatest sin is rejecting God, ignoring God, not loving God, loving other things instead of God. And what sums up all of the commands that we have to one another is to love one another as yourself. And so lawlessness is not merely breaking of the Ten Commandments. It is that. But the first commandment is also to have no other gods before God. So it's our disposition to God. Which is why I like the New City Catechism version of answering this question of what is sin to say that sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, rebelling against him by living without reference to him, not being attitude or doing action what he requires in his law, resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. I love this definition because it roots it It helps expand what we think about and correctly identify what we mean by lawlessness instead of just thinking about don't do bad things. But the breaking of the fundamental laws, which is our disposition and our orientation to who God is, not living with reference to him. If you are made to glorify God and enjoy God, then the fundamental core of what sin is is saying, I don't care about that. I'm going to live to glorify myself. I'm going to live with reference to who I am. I'm going to live just to enjoy whatever I want and ignore God. It's actually really important to get our definition of sin right. It's very important to get our definition of sin right. Because if we only think that sin is don't do a handful of certain bad things, then we may think, well, I'm fine. This doesn't really matter. But the core of sin is where are you in God? Are you rejecting God? Some people would say that. But here's where a lot of people are. They might say, I haven't rejected God. Are you ignoring God? Those feel different, don't they? You might have someone in your life, maybe a friend or a relative, a parent, and you would say, I have not rejected them. I was talking to someone recently, actually, who said this. They said, yeah, I have not rejected my father. I'll have a relationship with him at some point. I have not rejected him, but I am ignoring him. A lot of times that's actually how we live with God. We are living without reference to him. We're not living consciously saying, I want to live to enjoy God, pursue glorifying him in my life, being who he made me to be. Sin is lawlessness, but we have to understand what the law actually says. It's lived in reference to him. This is what's wrong with the world. This is what's wrong with you and me. This is what's wrong in our life. This is what gets us off alignment. When you ever feel like something is off in my life, something's not going right in my life, I'm going the wrong direction, things feel wobbly, there's, there's unrest, what's happening? The Bible's answer to that is sin, rejecting ignoring God, living without reference to him. Where did that come from? Where did all that come from? Well, the Bible's teaching on this, and and we did a series earlier this year about the storyline of the Bible, and so if you want to kind of hear about the fall more comprehensively, you can do that. Go back and listen. But the Bible says that as God created man and woman, he put two trees in the garden. Excuse me, that's not true. He put one tree in the garden and a bunch of other trees. Sometimes we, it's kind of represented as two trees in images. But God put tons of trees in the garden. And then one tree where he said, 
do not eat from this tree. Do not eat from this tree. And were man and woman going to be loyal to God? Were they going to trust him? Were they going to live with reference to him, receive and accept him instead of reject and ignore him? Or were they going to do their own thing and go their own way? And the Bible says that they were tempted by Satan who appeared in the form of a serpent, a dragon, a snake. And he said this. Now, the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? God didn't say that. This is why it's important to know your Bible, by the way. Did God really say can't eat from any tree in the garden? He's trying to make God sound worse than he is. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. Now, I want you to hear the questions that began the origin of sin. Because it's the same thing that begins the origin of sin in our life. Like whenever you sin, these same ingredients are present. You may start with saying this. Did God really say? You ever felt that question? You ever Googled? Did God really say this? Or just maybe typed in a phrase. God doesn't actually, the Bible doesn't teach. And then fill in the blank. With all sorts of things that we want. Did God really say? so that we can do something different. And then next, but about the fruit of the trees in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Then Satan says, no, you will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the second thing he says is, you will not die, meaning God is lying. Or God is holding out on you. You can't trust God. He doesn't actually want your good. God's ways are not the good ways. God, listen, you were created to enjoy. No, you weren't. God's holding out on you. There's more joy over here. Aren't those the ingredients of sin in any temptation that you've ever experienced? Did God really say? Does the Bible actually teach? Do we actually have to do that? Is that what it actually says? And then secondly, God's not good. There's more joy if you choose this. And third, you can be like God. Now, obviously, there's a good way that we're supposed to be like God. But this is a different kind of way. It's a self, it's instead of God being glorified, it's putting you at the center. Why should God be at the center? Why should God get to define who you are? Why should God get to decide? You can be like God. This is the origins of self-sufficiency. Self-reference. To just say you, you, you. Instead of God glory, self-glory. Instead of God dependence, self-dependence. Instead of God confidence, self-confidence. Instead of God esteem, self-esteem. Instead of all any reference to who God is in our life being the controlling factor, it's I can be like God. Who am I? These are the same ingredients. Don't, don't you feel these? Anytime that I'm tempted, these are the same things that exist. What happened? They sinned. They chose the fruit. And the effects of that were what we call the fall. The effects of that were disintegration. The effects of that were, theologians use the word alienation. <clears throat> Not alienation, but alienation. Though that might be like the, the third Independence Day coming soon, you know. It's alienation, that we are separated, that there's a, a distance, an enmity, a, a hostility between all the different relationships, between us and God. 
between us and creation, between us and each other, between us and ourselves. The reasons that we have these questions of saying, who am I and why am I here? Adam and Eve weren't wrestling with that before this, but now there's alienation even within our own self, struggling internally. Sin breaks all of this, which is why life is hard, which is why we have pain in the world, which is why we have pain in our relationships, which is why things are broken, which is why there's sickness and suffering and death. And what about us? Because you weren't there. You weren't in the garden. And you may, you may think, why, why should something they do have an effect on me? And what the Bible says is that we have inherited the guilt from Adam as our representative. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sin. So then, as through one trespass, one sin, there is condemnation for everyone. So also through one righteous act, talking about Jesus, there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. It's saying that Adam is our representative of humanity. Through him, now we have inherited guilt as sinners. And now what that means is, theologians will call this original sin or inherited guilt or inherited sin. What that means is we are now all sinners, both by nature and by choice, that we are sinners by nature. We looked at this in Ephesians earlier, but it says we were by nature children under wrath. Or David in the Psalms talks about, I was conceived in my mother's womb, I was conceived in sin. And it's not just by nature, but also by our choices. Romans says all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Think about even the way it phrases that. We're created to glorify God, we fall short. So the Bible says, that what is wrong is sin. It tells us the origin of that, but it tells us it's not, that's just not a historical event that happened, but that we have inherited that and participated in that, and that by nature and choice, we are sinful. So when we think about this, it's really important because sometimes the question comes up, are people basically good, or what's wrong with people? And sometimes we might think, well, there's uh, a philosopher had this term, tabula rasa, blank slate. People start at a blank slate. They're neither good nor bad. Sometimes people say, well, people are basically good, and you need to tap into your inner child. Don't do that. You know what kids are like? <laughs> They're not basically good. <laughs> They're wonderful. They're beautiful, like all human beings are, but they're not basically good. You know this, right? You, you see kids sometimes, especially for those of you that are parents, and you see your kids do things. I've never been to any of your houses and seen you, like, throw a dish across the room, and yet kids do that all the time. You, they didn't learn that from you. <laughs> like, that's what I'm planning to do this afternoon. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen kids, you know, they, they, you're just holding them, being a loving mom, and they just go, nah, poof, and smack you in the face. I'm like, what the? I, I, they didn't learn that from you. Now, do kids learn things from their parents? Yes, of course. But we don't start blank slate. We don't start basically good. We don't start, our problem isn't that we're ignorant and we just need more education. Our problem is that by nature and choice, we are sinners. 
by nature and choice, we have a disposition that rejects God, ignores God, that has alienation in all these different ways. That is our problem, which is why you can't just go along with your instincts. You can't just follow your heart or be who you are or just go with your gut. You can't do that because all parts of us are affected by sin. I'm not saying every single part of every part of who you are is disgusting and awful, but sin has affected your mind, your emotions, your body, all of them. Which is why we can't trust ourselves. We have to go, so what does God say? I I need something outside of myself to help me because myself is the problem. This is the problem and this is what's wrong, but one final exploration around this is what's the penalty of sin then? And truly, it's easy to think, well, it's not that big of a deal, right? Here's something that we say all the time. Nobody's perfect. So what we're saying is I've got sin. There's things that I do that aren't wrong. There's things where by nature and choice, I'm a sin. But you know what? Nobody's perfect. And we even laugh about it. At least I'm not whatever, fill in the blank. The Bible actually takes sin very seriously. You'll never see kind of a line in the Bible that just, hey, nobody's perfect, you know. We're all going to miss every once in a while. You won't see that. The Bible takes our disposition, our rejecting, our ignoring of God very seriously, and it says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin, the punishment, the payment of our sin is death. The Bible takes it very seriously. Because it hurts other people. And it hurts you. And it dishonors God. It breaks God's law. And it breaks God's heart. Is that how you view your sin? Do you view sin in your life or the rejecting or ignoring God or the breaking of God's command? Do do you view it seriously? Or is it kind of like, yeah, maybe one day I'll get to that. Maybe I'll handle that. Again, nobody's perfect and don't sin shame me or whatever, you know. Or is it something we just continue in, hide? Or are we radically fighting the sin in our life? Sin is wrong with the world and it distorts everything that you were made for. You were Instead of glorifying God, it's self-glory. Instead of enjoying God, it's enjoying these lesser joys that will never fulfill. Instead of reflecting God, we actually misrepresent God by the way that we live. Instead of being who we were made to be, we actually, sin traps us and enslaves us to be endlessly inauthentic. That's what's wrong with the world. So this is the Bible's view. It's actually a much more beautiful view than anything else of who humans are, and yet a much more realistic view of how messed up things are. And leaves us wanting hope. Going, man, if this is who we were made to be, which is so awesome, this is our purpose and glory and joy, and yet this is kind of what's wrong now. That leaves us wanting something different, something better. Leaves us wanting some resolution to that. If I were to end right here, you may just go, wow, life does suck, and walk out, you know? If our joy is found as we align with the purpose of who we were made to be and why we're here in the first place, if that's where your joy will come from is aligning with that, 
aligning with the deepest answers to the questions of why am I here, who am I, how do I live? What hope do we have if so much is broken? And the Bible says what I already showed you and mentioned, that Jesus gives us this great gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin has broken everything. It has brought death to everything, and yet God gives us a gift in Jesus of life, of eternal joy. And it's not just forgiveness of sin. It is that, but it's more than that. It is that he makes us new. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. See, who you were created to be, all that got messed up. But in Christ, you become a new creation. The old's passed away and the new has come. It's, it's not just forgiving us. When we come to Jesus, he is recreating us back to who we were designed to be, to know him, to glorify him, to enjoy him. And it's why it says you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. That once again, see, when you come to Jesus, and we're about to take communion in just a minute, and what we do when we take communion is remember these truths. We're, we're remembering that when you come to him, he forgives your sin, he pays the wages of sin, but, but also that he restores the image that you were created in, that you are being renewed so that once again you can enjoy God, glorify God, reflect God, and the more and more that we come to know him, the more and more that who he is and what he's done for us rests in our heart, the more that we then more accurately begin to step into being renewed in his image. And when we take communion, we're remembering his body broken, his blood shed to pay the debt for our sin and to remake us so that you can glorify God, so that you can represent God, so that you can enjoy God. And that the alienation that was created begins to be repaired so that there begins to be harmony with us and creation, with us and ourselves, with us and God, and with us and one another. So if you're a Christian, communion is something we do together every week. If you didn't grab one of those little cups, make sure to grab one. They're at the entrance. And it's just a time to remember this, to remember what he did for us. So take this time and pray. Confess sin where appropriate. Receive his assurance and forgiveness that he cleanses you. And ask that your life might more fully reflect who he made you to be. Present your life to him and say, I want my purposes to be why you even made me in the first place. I want that to be my life. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, that you are a God that made us for joy and for life and to experience fully your glory. Forgive us, God, that we pursue other purposes, that we pursue self-glory and false joys and all these things. God, forgive us and thank you that you do. You pay the wages of our sin and you bring us back to a life that is oriented around you. Renew us in your image more and more each day. Pray that you would help these truths to sink into our heart more deeply as we take communion and as we sing in response to you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.